And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we do give Thee thanks for Thy word. We do pray for understanding as we come to this passage tonight from Psalm 109. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. We ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As we come to Psalm 109 this evening, entitled this psalm, Prayer, the Best Remedy Against Our Enemies. As we approach this imprecatory psalm, we have dealt with imprecatory psalms before. And as I've mentioned before, I think we have to be careful as we come to these because I know of people, and I've actually seen them do this, of all strange places on Facebook, of calling down imprecatory curses upon their enemies. And the question comes again as we approach Psalm 109 is what should be the posture of the Christian before our enemies? Are we to pray imprecations or curses upon our enemies? How should we approach this topic? I found it interesting that recently I was reading um, in uh, some study related to this particular psalm from Psalm 109 a uh, Baptist scholar from one of the more solid Baptist seminaries. He was giving testimony of how he came to saving faith in the Lord. And he said it was through his grandmother that he came to faith, the encouragement of his grandmother, because he was raised where his dad had abandoned them at a very young age. And then later he went to live with his mother again, and she had remarried a man who was a very angry, very abusive man and He gives testimony of growing up in that environment. And he said he always had anger toward his father. And he said he could never, even as a Christian, deal with that anger. But he came to Psalm 109, and I think it's a wonderful testimony in his own life, that he learned from Psalm 109 how he could pray for his father how he could pray for his own anger, and in praying for his father, his father came to faith in the Lord Jesus, or stepfather came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and was later uh, repentant from that anger and that, that abusive behavior that he had. And he says this, he says, I would never have learned to forgive my father, or stepfather, if I had not come to understand more fully, particularly Psalm 109 and Psalm 69, which is one of the other psalms that he was uh, thinking upon as he was dealing with the anger in his own life. And as as I read through that and as I thought about that in the context of Psalm 109, how often is it that we feel like we have been wronged? We feel like we need to take vengeance against someone who has hurt us. But what we learn from Psalm 109, I think, is is instructive for us because here this is a 
a song of lament as well as an imprecatory psalm, but it's one that is an individual lament. If you compare Psalm 109 to 137, Psalm 109 is an individual lament of one facing betrayal, and Psalm 137 is a communal lament or the lament of all of Israel when facing their adversaries. And here David prays as one facing great betrayal. We don't know all the particulars of David. We know the life of David. We know um, of the, the hostility that David received. We know of the slander that came against him. We know of his enemies who sought him. He even looked for refuge and safety in a cave to get away from his enemies. But here as David prays in this imprecatory psalm, we find wonderful words of instruction. And we find as we look at this psalm, that in verses 1 through 5, we find David's complaint. In verses 6 through 20, we find David's curses or imprecations. In verse 21 through 29, we see his plea for help. And then in the close, verses 30 through 31, we see his vow of thanksgiving. So as we approach this psalm, let us consider um, as we come to this text, those Words, verses 1 through 5 of David's complaint. Here David brings his complaint before the court of heaven. We find it necessary at times in our life to bring our complaint to others. Perhaps we bring it by way of gossip or by way of slander. And David certainly found his enemy slandering his name. But David brings his complaint to the only logical place before the Lord his God. As David found his character assaulted, as David found his enemies lashing out at him, he prays, hold not thy peace, O God of my praise. In other words, God, do not be silent. Hear my complaint. You know, sometimes we complain and sometimes we get the response, I'm tired of hearing your complaint. But certainly when we bring our complaint before the Lord God, He does not turn away. So He turns to God. He turns to God seeking justice. And in this individual lament as He has faced betrayal, David prays, that the Lord would not hold his peace. As we look at this, as these first five verses in David's complaint, he says there in verse 2, For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened up against me. And so he begins to, to bring his complaint before the Lord with specific instances. The wicked are deceitful. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have compassed me about with words of hatred. 
and have fought against me without cause. As you look at each one of these particular things that are noteworthy, verse 3, he speaks of those who have encompassed him with words of hatred and fought against him without cause. When you go back to Psalm 69.4, there in that imprecatory psalm, it says this, They hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head, that they would destroy me, destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I would, then I restored that which I took not away. When you read both of those verses, this is a reference to what we find in John chapter 15, verse 25. I think it's important to note that in the Psalms, there's often direct uh, quotes found in the New Testament that are instructive. But there in John chapter 15 and verse 25, there in that parable of the vine and the branches, the Lord Jesus Christ is instructing His disciples on their love for one another. And you come down to about verse 23. And the text says, He that hateth me, hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. So here's a reference to this Old Testament passage in Psalm 69.4 and there in Psalm 109 of how they hated the Lord Jesus Christ how they despised him, and how they will despise his people. And so David quotes that, and that is used there in John chapter 15, verse 25. But notice the posture of David. And I think this is a a wonderful reminder to us. David says, For my love, they are my adversaries. But I give myself unto prayer. David reminds us that he turns to prayer when he finds that his enemies have spoken against him, when his enemies have lied, when his enemies have caused slander. He turns himself unto prayer. Then he continues, They have rewarded me evil for good, and hatred for my love. And so here again we see David's posture, that even in verse 5, he shows mercy toward them that hate him. There's no revenge in in David's complaint. David comes and, and, and asks for the Lord's mercy. He speaks for the Lord's mercy. But notice in this particular psalm, there is no Um, vengeance. There is no um, 
attitude of, of showing hatred or hostility. In fact, it's the opposite. David is showing, is showing mercy and grace unto those who turn against him. And how difficult it is for us to show mercy to those who hate us, to show kindness to those who have done us wrong. And yet David here teaches us that this is the posture of the believer. That when we find ourselves in a situation where someone has slandered us or perhaps spoken against us or, or done horrible, terrible things, we are to show charity toward them. Now I want us to see in this particular individual lament or this imprecatory psalm that David here teaches us that prayer is the place that we are to turn to, that prayer is the posture of every believer when he finds himself in that. But this is not just some little indiscretion that David is complaining about before the Lord. This is a slanderous thing, and most commentators would agree that what David is expressing here is against those who have turned away from the Lord, his God. One particular commentator believes that this particular psalm speaks of the complaint to the Lord against those who once were associated with the people of God and have turned away, and now he issues this complaint, and later he issues imprecations, toward those who have turned away from God. But David never turned away from God, even in his complaint. But he brought his complaint before God. And so we see that complaint in verses 1 through 5. But we see in verses 6 through 20, those curses or imprecations. As you look at verses 6 through 20, and there's a whole list of things, it's quite um, difficult for us to to make sense of some of that. Um, Verse 6, set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He is an adversary. And so the text shows us that he is standing at the right hand of God. But I draw your attention back to Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. We looked at Zechariah this morning. So let's look at Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1 and see how we understand what this verse is referring to. Here in chapter 3 of Zechariah, Zechariah sees Joshua, the high priest. He's dressed in this uh, garment, being accused by Satan, but acquitted by the Lord his God. And there in verse 1 it says, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord hath chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke thee. 
is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with fitly garments and stood before the angel. And so here we find the high priest standing there before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing on his right hand accusing him and the Lord rebuking him. So there's a reference there that draws our attention to this verse 6 in Psalm 109. And so as David brings curses or imprecations upon his enemies, he says in verse 7, When he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Let him go out guilty. Again, as David is bringing these imprecations upon his enemies, he is showing that they are under the judgment of God. And we see in the Old Testament, particularly in Deuteronomy, that the Lord brings blessing upon those who are obedient, and He brings what? Curses upon the disobedient. And so as these curses are brought upon them, these are the curses of the covenant. These are the curses that show that they are enemies of God, that they have opposed God. And David begins to pray that the Lord would bring those imprecations upon them. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Has anyone ever heard that prayed as an imprecatory prayer against someone? I have heard that used so often in the pro-life movement in the past. Well, let us pray this imprecatory prayer against a governor or against uh, someone in a position of authority. And it's taken completely out of context. Because when you look at verse 8, this is cited in Acts chapter 1 in verse 20. Now we're kind of going back and forth between the Old and New Testament, but I think this is helpful for us to understand uh, somewhat of what David is talking about here. But there in Acts chapter 1 in verse 20, as the church is praying uh, on the day of Pentecost, we find there in verse 19, And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Akdama, that is to say, the field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no one dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. That is referring to Judas. Judas had betrayed the Lord, and so there's how many apostles left? Eleven. And so the Apostles are meeting together to choose another one to take the place of Judas, who betrayed the Lord. And whom did they choose? They choose Matthias to take his place. And so, when this is quoted in Acts chapter 20, or Acts chapter 1, verse 20, it's referring to this reference in Psalm 109, verse 8. This man who was once associated with the Lord Jesus Christ, with his band of disciples, let him be condemned and let another man take his place. 
And so this has particular reference to, to Judas. And so we need to be careful that we use these in proper context. The apostle who betrayed the Lord was now judged and he was replaced by another. Oftentimes when you see verses like verse 9 and 10, let his children be fatherless, his wife a widow, let his children be vagabonds, let them beg for their bread out of their desolate places. People come to these verses and think, see, this is why we don't sing the Psalms. Because why would you be singing things about letting their children be fatherless? Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. What does that mean? And again, David is praying these particular uh, judgments upon those who had turned away from God. Um, He is showing that they have sinned against God. Um, And if you continue on, let there be none, verse 12, to extend mercy unto him. Neither let any of them favor his fatherless children. And so this is clearly a judgment that takes us back to those um, judgments in Deuteronomy. That even the children of these fathers, their children should not be shown mercy. And this is a strong thing. This is strong language that we, we can't identify with. And yet David is praying these particular things Let their posterity be cut off. And in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. One particular commentator notes this, and I think this is is a good way to understand this psalm, that these imprecations or these curses are being called against the children of the seed of Satan. You see there in the garden when, when uh, sin entered the garden that um, you see this, the uh, seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And you see in the very beginning when sin entered the world that there was this battle between the children of the woman and the children of Satan's seed. And this is the seed of Satan. This is the seed of the of the people who have turned away from God. And so when the psalmist is praying, let their posterity be cut off, and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. He's praying specific things against the seed of the serpent who would be warring against the seed of the woman. And so he's praying, don't let their generation be remembered. Let their names be blotted out. Let their memories be no more. And then he continues on, and, and again, there's, there's a whole lot of things here that we don't have the time to look into. But there in verse 19, verse 20, Let it be unto him as the garment which covereth him, and for a girdle wherewith he is girded continually. Let this be the reward of what? Mine adversaries from the Lord and of them that speak evil against my soul. And so David is praying these prayers of cursing against the enemies of God. 
The psalmist prays for God's direct judgment upon the enemies of God, those who are hostile to the operations of God's kingdom. It is not proper, as I have said, for us to advance the cause of the kingdom by praying imprecatory prayers or bringing curses upon our enemies. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 to pray for our enemies, to seek mercy and compassion against those who despitefully use us. And so this kind of prayer is a prayer that David prays that the Lord would indeed show him mercy. There are a number of imprecatory psalms throughout the Psalter. Uh, Some are quite detailed and some are not as detailed. Psalm 5, Psalm 10, Psalm 17, Psalm 35, Psalm 58, Psalm 69, Psalm 70, Psalm 83, Psalm 129, 137, and 140 are psalms that call for God to exercise justice according to His nature and according to His covenant promises on behalf of His people. And that is the only reason why these curses are called upon the enemies of God, so that God's name, God's glory would be vindicated, and that the promises given unto His people would be fulfilled. And so as we think upon these particular things, we draw our attention to the plea for help in verses 21 through 29. We were talking about this a little bit this afternoon as we were talking about the proper pronouns to use in prayer and public worship, a good discussion. Um, But as you look at this psalm, notice how David begins in verses 1 through 5. He speaks in what person? He speaks in the first person. He speaks of me. He speaks of my adversaries. I give myself unto prayer. And so David speaks of himself. But as you turn to verses 6 through 20, it changes from I or to me, and it turns to... Um, a more plural pronoun. And then as you come to verse 21, it changes to thou. But thou, O God, for thy name's sake, come to my aid and deliver me. And so in David's prayer for help in verses 21 through 29, he turns to the Lord as God. And so the language changes from I to they, now to thou. O thou, my God, help me, for I am poor and needy. My heart is wounded. I am gone like a shadow when it declineth. I am tossed up and down as the locusts. My knees are weak. I've become as a reproach unto them. When they looked upon me, they shaked their heads. Help me, O Lord, my God, and save me, what? According to thy mercy. And then David concludes there in that plea for help in that prayer. Let mine enemies be clothed with shame and let them cover themselves with their own confusion as with 
a mantle. As we think upon this particular psalm, I think it's important for us to see that David is praying this as an individual. This is a personal lament. But David represents the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we understand the Psalms and we see the Psalms all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we see the Lord Jesus Christ saying all that's written of me and that's written in the Psalms, the prophets, the writings speak of me, we see that Christ is the one who's praying these Psalms. I think I mentioned just a couple weeks ago that the Psalms are really given for the church to know how to rightly pray. We've been talking about prayer in our larger catechism. How do we pray? Whom do we pray to? But notice in this psalm, who's praying? It's the Lord Jesus Christ who's praying to the Father on behalf of the enemies of God. And so it is Christ praying these psalms. And as we sing these psalms, we are singing them unto the Lord our God, who is our King, It is only right for the king and the Lord of the church to pray that his enemies be destroyed. It is not our right to pray. It is the right of the Lord Jesus Christ to pray to the Father. Because the Lord Jesus Christ in perfect humanity desires that God's glory be vindicated, that God's name be vindicated, that God's name be defended. When we pray, when we seek vengeance, is it not for our own self? Is it not for our own selfish needs? And yet the Lord Jesus Christ prays that his enemies would be destroyed. These imprecations that Jesus prays are the war cries of the Prince of Peace. We looked at that passage this morning from Luke chapter 19. Why was Jesus riding on a colt? There was much more that could be said from that passage, but why did he come riding in on a colt instead of on a horse? Because a a horse was was a beast of war. So this king wasn't riding into the city to declare war. This king was riding into the city on a colt, showing his humility, showing that he is the Prince of Peace, that he has come to deliver his people from their enemies. And so Christ prays the war cries as the Prince of Peace on behalf of his people. And so God, the Father, hears the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, the justice that is deserved for you and I is poured out at the cross. The justice of God, the wrath of God, the, the curses of the covenant were all poured out upon the Son of God at the cross. What is that word that Jesus uttered there when he was... Nailed to that tree. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. 
And so justice is poured out at the cross and the gospel takes enemies of God and turns them into brothers and sisters who are reconciled unto a holy God. Here in this Psalm 109, this is indeed prayer confirmed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ was surrounded by His enemies who hated Him without cause. Judas betrayed Christ with that kiss, with that kiss of of rejection, that kiss of deceit. He sold Him for a few pieces of silver. And yet that betrayal was foretold throughout all of the Old Testament. And yet Christ brought woes and judgment upon His enemies. Notice there in Matthew chapter 26, and I would encourage you to look at that later on your own, but there in Matthew 26, there is that scene of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as He's there being betrayed, as He's there being brought to justice, for crimes he never committed. He really was bringing woe or judgment upon the people who had turned away from him. Chapter 26, verse 24 of Matthew. The Son of God goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of God is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had never been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said. There, before the Passover meal, before Judas had even taken the bread and taken the cup to drink with them, he had already betrayed the Lord Jesus And Christ looks at him and says it would have been better if that man had never been born. And so Jesus, as the Son of God, could certainly pray these imprecatory psalms. God inflicted severe punishment upon Judas. He died by committing self-murder. And he was utterly humiliated. But this should be a warning against the enemies of God and the kingdom. But they should particularly be a warning to those enemies within the pale of the visible church. That the Lord Jesus Christ will seek vengeance upon all of His enemies. But then He concludes with this vow of thanksgiving. Verse 30, I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yea, I will praise Him among the multitude, for He shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save Him. Those that condemn His soul. And here in the conclusion of this particular psalm, David prays. But it is the Lord Jesus Christ praying to the Father 
that he would be known among the multitudes, that he would be praised, that he would stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn his soul. Now, as you think about verse 31 there, the Lord Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn his soul. How many believers tonight in the Sudan? How many believers in China? How many believers in many nations of the earth who are facing great affliction and great persecution? What a great consolation to know that their elder brother, that the redeemer of their souls stands to save them from death. Let us think upon the imprecatory psalms as the prayers of the king of the church, not of individual believers. Oh, certainly I think we need to pray when we find ourselves at odds with someone. I think we need to pray when we find that our enemies are raging against us. We need to pray that the Lord would give us grace and compassion, that the Lord would teach us how to love them, as Jesus did. But here in this wonderful psalm, we find instruction on that great resource of prayer, that great means of grace. To whom should we pray? We pray to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ prays for the church. We see that in that high priestly prayer there in John chapter 17. That the Lord Jesus Christ prays for us. And so when we face our enemies, when we face the hostility of the world, let us remember that the Lord Jesus Christ stands at the right hand of the Father. He is already there as our King. And what does the Lord Jesus Christ, according to our confession of faith, do as our King? He intercedes for us, but what else does He do? He defends us from all of our enemies. And so let us think afresh tonight of the importance of praying for our enemies and seeking to show mercy and compassion to them. But let us always direct our prayers unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our elder brother. We can come and bring our, our complaint and our prayers unto Him. Bring our prayers unto the court of heaven, seeking for His mercy when we find ourselves receiving hostility from the world. But let us remember that if the Lord Jesus Christ suffered affliction, He told His disciples this in the upper room before He went to the cross. He says, In this world you will have tribulation." They hated me, they will hate you. But let us remember to pray and to seek reconciliation with all men and pray, particularly for the salvation of our enemies. Let us remember that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who prays that his people would be delivered.
from all of his enemies and our enemies as well. So let us take comfort in these words of Christ who prays against his enemies. Let us remember that we are called not to seek vengeance, not to seek the wrath of God, but to seek for reconciliation, even to pray for the salvation of our enemies. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give Thee thanks for the wonderful lesson that we find here in Psalm 109. We do give Thee thanks that You have redeemed us, that You, through Your active and passive obedience, have provided for Thy people a perfect redemption, that You have clothed us with Your righteousness. And we thank Thee that we are imputed with that righteousness that comes from Thee alone. And Lord, we give Thee thanks that we too were once enemies, that we too were once haters of God, and yet You have drawn us unto Thyself. And we would pray that as we face our own enemies, we would ask, O Lord God, that You would protect us and keep us, that even tonight You would protect the church throughout the earth from all of her enemies. And we ask, O Lord, that You would teach us to pray for our enemies and for those who would despitefully use us. Lord, show us compassion toward all men, even toward our enemies. O Lord, our God, we give Thee thanks that You are our King, that You are our Deliverer, that You are the One who will bring justice. One day You will come and bring salvation to Thy people. And so we give Thee thanks for all of Thy mercies and ask that Thou would teach us these things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.